I, I've been asked three or four times today, like, where have you been? I missed one Sunday. <laughs> and let me tell you where I've been. I've been at Booger Bottom. I'm not kidding. Four stars on Yelp in Cobb, Georgia. There's a restaurant called Booger Bottom. <clears throat> no floor, just subfloor. No walls, just studs. Feeding catfish off the side with stale buns. And I cannot tell you, I cannot repeat the conversations that we overheard at Booger Bottom. <laughs> I, I've been out of the South for a long, long time. And when I go, I see family primarily. And um, there were some things I thought that the South had left behind them for, for the last 30 years. And it's kind of sad. Um, nice folks, but a different view of our world than most of us have. So I'm glad to be back in Western Michigan. I don't know if you know what Nats are, but I played golf at the Georgia Veterans Memorial Golf Club with my brothers. Uh, it's just me and my three brothers down there. Uh, we've never done that before. Don't know if we'll do it again. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, it was fine. But uh, having Nats in your ears, I have hearing aids, and so when they get in that little spot, your little microphone, um, when you're lining up a putt, I'm not a good putter anyway. My job is to make others feel good about their game. But very irritating. And they have a, a substance, just so you know, if you ever go to the South and you're bugged by the gnats, pun intended, um, there's, a, there's a thing called swamp gator, which is a gnat repellent. So if you see swamp gator at a gas station and you're bothered by the gnats, just so, just, I'm just sharing you with this great piece of wisdom that I've learned. Swamp gator gnat repellent doesn't work, but it's expensive. Okay? All right. <laughs> Let me offer. <laughs> Sorry. Let me offer a prayer, and we'll get started on Daniel chapter three. Lord, thank you for the witness of Daniel and his three friends. Um, Lord, we will likely never be asked in our lifetimes to choose to bow down to an object or be thrown into a furnace. But there are some things that that you challenge. Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan demonic worshiping king with and, and, and some lessons that you can teach us. So Lord, this is not my message for your people. This is your message for all of us. So I don't want to get in your way. So I'm asking that you give people, all of us, me too, eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. And if there's something I plan to say that is not of you, Lord, convict me of it, but wipe it from my memory for this presentation. And if there's something you want said that I haven't considered, make it burn within me so that your people hear what you want them to hear this day. We pray this in Jesus' name through the power of your Holy Spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, this is a passage that you're most, almost everyone here, if you have background in church, if you grew up going to Sunday school, that kind of thing, you had a felt board. Those of us who are old enough, you had an iPad thing um, if you're younger or something on Right Now Media or VeggieTales. Um, you, you've, you know about the, the story of, of, in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But I want, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you to hear it again for the first time. Because the people that heard this the first time, when it gets to this point, this watershed point in this, in this particular passage, they didn't know what the end was going to be. And honestly, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves and we're faced with similar, probably not as intense or as obvious, but we're faced with similar temptation, we don't know what the outcome will be. And God's challenge to us 
is to be uncompromising in our devotion to him. So I'm going to read it. It's a long chapter. We're going to read every word of it. I, I, the, the Bible's in the, in the pews and on the, underneath the chairs. Same Bible's I'm reading up here. Um, it's about this far in if you're flipping through pages. It's not quite to the skinny pages. It might be still back with the, the sticky pages. Uh, it'll be up on the screen too, but we're going to read every word and I'll kind of stop and go as we go along. Now, as you heard a couple of weeks ago, uh, the people of Judah were very unfaithful. Uh, they were unfaithful with large things, but also small things. They, they kept giving, uh, they, they kind of they winked and nodded at, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And then they kept doing exactly what they wanted to do anyway. And God got frustrated. He warned them and he told them that, look, I'm going I'm to let some pagan king come and take over. You're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And he says this when he's given them that warning, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. But you're going to be there 70 years. So he, he says it's going to be great in the long run, but for 70 years it's going to be hard. And we got to keep in mind that God's judgment is always a gift. It's hard for us to swallow that, but God's judgment is also a gift. Jonah, who wanted to go to Nineveh, or who didn't want to go to Nineveh, God wanted to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is modern-day Iraq, which is ancient Babylon, same place as, we're gonna, as we are here. Um, chapter 1 kind of tells us that what had happened and that God had set apart a few men, at that time they were boys, to, to speak truth to this demonic, this demon-worshiping king. He, he worshiped Marduk, also known as Bel, also known as Baal or Baal. Um, and we, two weeks ago, we talked about earning the right to be heard. And then Pastor Doug, by the way, that was the best. I've heard him several times. And I didn't get to hear him live, but I watched it on, on, on video. That was the best message I've ever heard him preach. And he always preaches really good messages. But he, you remember what he said. He said that when you've earned the right to speak, speak God's voice, not yours. That's what we talked about last week. Now, and, and, and last week, Nebuchadnezzar, he, he started giving praise to God. It looked like he was going to start to follow after Christ. And then we get to chapter 3, and the first thing Nebuchadnezzar does is he, he builds this 90-foot tall statue, 9 feet wide, 90 feet tall. And you're like, what? And then he makes everyone bow down to him. And you're like, what? He just one chapter ago. Well, just so you know, he was a young king then. We're probably in the middle of his reign. And then the next chapter of, of, of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar writes after seven years of, of behaving like an animal. So it's the only scripture passage that I know of that a pagan demon-worshiping king writes a, a, a chapter of scripture. That's next week. But we know that years have passed since Daniel 2 to Daniel 3. We don't even know in this passage where Daniel is. But it, it reads like this, but I want you, to, I want you to, to know that this is years after He's already seen evidence that the one true God is the one true God. And Nebuchadnezzar has drifted, like we so often do, from undying devotion to, I'm going to just go the other way around. I'm going to do my will, not God's, instead of God's will, not mine. It reads like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. Now, it's a very odd-shaped thing if you think about it. 90 feet, but it's a 10... 10% base versus the, the top. So it's, if it's a face or if it's a body, it's a very tall, thin body or a very tall, thin face. It's an, and lots of scholars are trying to, what was it? How did it stay standing? Scripture's unclear on that. It doesn't tell us. So the, the author here of the book of Daniel is telling us not important. So don't get caught up in it when you read about, well, this must have been this and it was because of the dream and the gold head and this is a gold statue. Maybe it was of Nebuchadnezzar. God's saying it doesn't really matter. 
And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Now, just so you know, a little background. Last week, Pastor Doug said, you know, this particular book, these chapters are written in Aramaic. Everything else is in Hebrew or Greek. There's only a few little spots that are in Aramaic. Um, and he said, and he, he stood up and he said, I, I don't know why, but I want to tell you, I know why. I have no idea. I'm just kidding. Just trying to make sure that, that, that I'm smarter than Doug. Um, and I'm not. Uh, some background on this spot, the plain of Dura. You remember, we, and we preached on this a couple of, couple of months ago, that, that uh, the tower... A Babel, remember that? When, when, when humanity was growing and it was moving across the known world, they thought of themselves as really, really something, there's something special. So they built this tower out of brick and mortar to the sky so that they could, they could basically claim the authority of God. And God shows up at Babel, the tower, and, he, and I, don't know if, I don't remember specifically if he knocked down the tower, but he scrambled their language because he needed to, he needed to send them all over, but also they, they can't be unified in that one language because they, we, get too, we get too caught up in our ourselves when, when things are easy for us. This is the same spot. Babel means confusion. We're in Babylon and probably within spitting distance of where they tried to build the Tower of Babel is where this large statue, this large image, this large icon, this idol is go, has gone up. And there's evidence, now we don't know for sure, but there's evidence that the furnace that we hear about in this particular passage is a remnant of the kiln made, uh, used to, to make the bricks for the Tower of Babel. So if you remember that God tends to do, to, to, to teach similar lessons in similar places throughout the Old Testament and even into the New. We talked about um, the, when, when Abraham offered up Isaac on Mount Moriah, and that was also the threshing floor of Aruni, the Jebusite, where David said, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. When he, when he stood up and he said, Lord, it's my sin, not theirs. Don't hurt them, hurt me. And it's also the very place where Jesus was, was crucified, where he says, Lord, it's their sin, not mine. Take me, not them. So God seems to use the same spot to teach similar lessons to his people over and over and over again. Babel, same thing. Repeating the sin of Genesis 3, to be like God, to try to, to, to be beyond death, to be something more than we actually are. King Nebuchadnezzar is not claiming with words to be God, but he's saying that all nations, all government officials, this is a gathering of all the Congress and all of the bureaucrats in Washington. That's how big of a place this is. That's how many people are there. That all of the people in his kingdom, and he is the one kingdom that can be seen from all the earth, they're all gathered together. And he's saying, at my word, at my command, you do what I say. And anyone who doesn't is going to die. He's claiming Godhood. Whether he's saying that or not, he's saying at my word, at my will, all knees will bow. Then the herald, the one who speaks on, on the king's behalf, proclaimed, this is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard, lots of repetition here, 
<clears throat> Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers, those aren't astronomers, these are people that read astrological charts. So, Pisces and Cancer and horoscopes. Some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. This is, and I'm, I don't have HBO, so I don't know these stories very well, but this is both a House of Cards moment and a Game of Thrones moment. Politics is politics. These are people that have the right schooling. They were born, they're pure Babylonians. They're, they, were, they were born into the right family, into the right caste. They got the same kind of education that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got. But somehow, some way, they feel slighted because these Jewish, these foreigners who, who don't even worship their gods, they're being highly lifted up. They're given, they're given authority over the affairs of Babylon. And these astrologers are looking for an opportunity to take them down. And the only way to take him down is to make sure they get killed. And they've seen the king, when people don't do what he's told them to do, he kills them. He doesn't, he doesn't quibble. He doesn't, it's not, we don't have a court system. The king says, die, you die then. So I don't know what they were doing when they're supposed to be bowing down, when they're supposed to be proskuneo, or when they're supposed to be prostrate up before, before this image. They're laying down. Some of them, it's kind of like the kid who, 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 who tattles on their brother for not closing his eyes when they pray. And dad goes, how do you know? Right? I don't know why the king doesn't call him out on it, but somehow, some way, they notice that three men out of hundreds of thousands weren't laying down. Now, you would think that they would stand out if everyone's laying down. But if you've been out west, have you been to the Rocky Mountains or to, to, to the, uh, what do they call it, um, Trail Ridge Road over the Continental Divide in the Rocky Mountain National Park. You drive over that road. If you've ever driven over that, don't go with my wife. I love her dearly, but she'll see mountain lions, or not mountain lions, but mountain goats, and she'll go, <gasps> and I'm, I'm white knuckling. On this. There's, no, there's no rail. And I'm just, I've been in nine car accidents, only two of which I was in the driver's seat, and only one of them I had anything to do with. But I'm on that road, and it's like a mile down, and she's like, look at the goat. <laughs> But if you're up there and you pull off to the little area right up at the top of the Continental Divide when you can't breathe and you're looking for these little woolly marmots or whatever and, and you look way over down the valley miles away and you see a brown spot and you see that brown spot and you go, is that a moose? You can't tell if it's laying down, if it's standing up. You don't know if it's a rock or a moose. You're hoping that you'll see it moving, that you'll see the big rack of horn. But when it's that far away, you can't tell. The king, there's hundreds of thousands of people in this plain of Dura. And he sees this big wave of people going down. They hear it here. They, they didn't have public address systems. So then there's, a, there's another guy that proclaims it. And then there, and boom, boom, boom. As the music makes its way down, there's this wave of hundreds of thousands of people laying down. Three don't go down. 
No way the king knew it. So they have to get tattled on. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Here's a second chance. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then here's, 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 here's Nebuchadnezzar, a demon-worshiping king, challenging the God of the universe. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? That's pretty arrogant. He's utterly deceived himself to believe. Even after what he's seen years ago, Daniel interpret, tell him the dream that he had and then interpret it. Even when God says, this is what's going to happen to your kingdom. Even with all of that laid out, he's still arrogant, self-deceived, and so self-centered that he's claiming that he has more power than God. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do the do the thing that no one should do in front of a king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. What? Okay, just picture, you've been accused of murder. Okay, some shooting, some horrible shooting takes place, and everyone's pointing to you, that it was you that did it, that you took down a bunch of people in a mall or something like that. Horrific things that are happening in our culture. Imagine that it's you that gets pointed at and pinned on it and you show up to the judge and he goes, what say you? Yeah, I don't need an attorney. I got my, I got that. I don't need to defend myself to you. At the very least, you're in contempt of court and you're going to jail. At most, you're going to be tried and convicted of this horrific thing that you did not do. These men see the arrogance of a de demon worshiping king who claims that he has the power over God, their, own, their God, and they say to him, they have the guts to speak truth. When you've earned the right to be heard, speak the truth of God. We don't need to explain ourselves to you in this matter. If, you, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from it and will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. Now, first of all, we look in there and it sounds like they know that they're going to be rescued from the fire. That is not what they say. We know that God will deliver us from your hand. They're either going to be saved out of the fire or they're going to be delivered through the fire. They know that they're people. They know the third commandment. When it, it, it talks about you will not make for yourself an image made out of anything under heaven or earth or under the earth. You will not make for yourself something out of your own hands and then bow down your will and your body to it and worship it. And God will hold accountable to hundreds of generations if you do. They know that if they bow down, their deliverer might abandon them. Because the whole people of God are being, the, Judah has been, has been put in, into exile because they weren't faithful to the commandments that God had given them. So they have an option here. They have, a, they have a choice. Either bend my knee 
to save my life or go into the furnace to save my soul. All they had to do was have faith in the king enough to move a muscle and do this. And they don't die and they have the opportunity to speak into the king's life later. But they stand before a demon-worshipping king and they say, we don't have to defend ourselves. Our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not abandoning the one who is our deliverer. How do you think the king took that? Oh, okay. Well, sorry, we had a little misunderstanding. Just want to make sure that you have the opportunity to do whatever you want. I want you to be part of the crowd. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Second time he was furious. He was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. Instead of giving them an opportunity, he's, he's taking them down. And he ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that, uh, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. There's a contrast here, and I don't know, I mean, I didn't see it the first time reading it, preparing for this message. It was through study that... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are willing to die a martyr's death. They are willing to die for the sake of their God versus bending a knee and saying, my will, not yours. But the soldiers die a pointless death at the whim of a demon-worshiping king. They get no benefit from this. They don't get eternity in heaven for this. They, 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 at, the, at the command of a pagan king, these soldiers who, who tied them up, the strongest soldiers, walk up to the edge, throw them in, and the flames kill them. Willing to die for a cause, dying pointlessly for the whim of a ruler. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in, in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we, had tied, that we tied up and threw into the fire? Certainly, king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and they were, there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the, that, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. I gotta ask you. What would you do? I hope 
that if someone tells you to kneel on a beach in an orange jumpsuit and say, the, say that you renounce Christ or will take your head off, that you would do like the men, the Coptic Christians did a year, year and a half ago, and just sing praises to God while they die. I hope that if anyone ever says, you bend your knee or you bend your will to this idol, this statue of Marduk, that you would say, nope. I would rather die. But here's the thing. You're likely never going to be asked to do something like that because of where you live and because of the, the times we live in and the God you serve. I joke and I say that we're stoned to death with marshmallows. We're not persecuted. We get upset that Target allows a bathroom that you might have to share with someone who doesn't look like you or have the same values as you. We get upset when we hear of a football coach that's fired because he can't pray for his team before and after the game. We get upset when we're not allowed to pray in school or we're not allowed to bring our Bibles to certain places. We get frustrated when, when, when you, can't, you can't speak truth in our culture. We're supposed to keep our faith private but our politics public. We're mildly inconvenienced for the sake of Christ. We're not persecuted yet. And I don't know how bad it's going to get. I have no idea. But the likelihood of you kneeling in an orange jumpsuit on the side of a, of, of a sea threatening you renounce Christ or you die is unlikely. It's going to be more subtle. You'll find yourself in situations where people are ridiculing your God and you feel like you have to apologize for being a Christian or you're being belittled because of your faith. But Jesus has some things to say about that. He says, when someone slaps you upside the face, offer them the other cheek as well. You know that back when Jesus was walking the earth and, and he said that to his people, that if you slap someone upside the head, it's like flipping them off or in the Middle East, like hitting them with a shoe. It says, you're dead to me. You have no worth. You do not matter. And when Jesus says, then turn the other cheek, say, I don't matter. Let me matter even less. He tells us that if someone says, carry my pack for a mile, the law said you had to carry the pack of a Roman soldier for a mile. He says, offer to go another mile. He says, if someone asks for your cloak, give me your shirt too. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Do not return evil with evil, but evil with good. Bless those who want harm to come to you. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Will you be uncompromising in your devotion when given the opportunity, not just in your words, but in how you behave, when given the opportunity to face persecution or inconvenience or belittlement? See, the commodity that's traded in our culture primarily on the radio and on, on, on the, the, the political advertising stuff and on the TV, is fear. The more afraid you'll be, the more anxious you'll be, and the more you'll watch and the more product you'll buy. But Jesus has an answer to that through his apostle. He said, you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. I don't know if we're under judgment right now. I don't know. I wish I did. But I do know that judgment 
of God is always a gift. Not just for the people under judgment, but for the people who are persecuting God's people. Remember Jonah? He didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? Talked about that at the beginning of the message. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, which is Iraq, which is Babylon. He didn't want to go because he knew that God was going to show him his love. Jonah didn't want to show him his love, but God wanted them to see that he loves them. All of Judah is taken captive and taken to Babylon. Why? So that God's people will come back to him and these people that worship demons will be introduced to the God of the universe. And his mercy, his grace, his love, his compassion, hope. There are people that are going to belittle, mock, and accuse you of things. But they don't know. They don't know that we pray and mean it. They don't know that God loves them dearly. They don't know that there's hope and mercy. It's not a post-Christian era. That was my generation. This is a pre-Christian era. Most people have no Christian memory. And we don't matter to them. But we matter to God. And God wants to show people who don't know him, people that would persecute people in his church, people that would ridicule Christ himself, he wants to show them that he's beyond that. And that he loves them. And he wants what's best for them because he knows the plans he has for them. Plans to prosper them, not to harm them. Plans to give them hope in the future. But Christians get scared. And we have to stop. We have to recognize that God is in charge of those who are in charge. And I don't know if you know this, but there's an election season going on. Did you know? And did you hear that there's a debate coming up? The most important debate of our lifetime. And, you know, when you're watching it, if you do, root for your team. But honestly, and I'm not, being, I'm not saying that the job of the President of the United States, the leader of the free world, is not an important job. I'm not. But whatever happens in the debate is no more important in eternity than a football game. Because whoever gets elected and whoever loses, whoever loses or wins the debate, whoever loses or wins the election, the product is going to be more division. And yeah, you want your side to win because then it tells you you're right. But nothing will unify race or language or culture or the world. Nothing other than the God of the universe who wants the same thing for all people. To say, yes, Lord, I accept Christ as my Savior Nebuchadnezzar, at the name, at the command of Nebuchadnezzar, he commanded that every tongue confess and every knee bow. But there is one name under heaven or on the earth by which every, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow, some voluntarily, some by judgment. But there is only one that can, will, or ever shall unify, bring hope, peace, prosperity, joy, love, kindness, justice. One. So people of God, you have an opportunity to be calm and courageous. You have an opportunity to not fall into fear and anxiety, 
but to show that your faith is real. You know why? Because there's more that rises in the prairie than the sun. There's more that shines in the night than the moon. There's more than just this fire here that keeps us warm. There's more that pulses in the ocean than just the tide. Rich Mullins, we're going to sing a song here in just a moment. It says, if you stand, if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you'll pull me through. But if I fall, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. That is the prayer for Christians in the United States today. Let us be bold, calm, courageous, agents of peace, hope, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The reason we chose Daniel for this fall is because of the angst in our culture. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were men of God, and he used them powerfully. Do you know that if, they would, if one of them would have bent their knee, that we never would have seen God show his power to Nebuchadnezzar? He showed his wisdom in the dream, but his power was shown because three men were willing to say, he can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not doing that. Let us be a people who live our lives in such a way that other people praise our Father in heaven. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not the hero of this story. God is. And you notice that Nebuchadnezzar and the prefects and the governors and all those people, who did they praise? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're irrelevant. They praise God. Will you be a people who loves God in such a way that other people see what you do, what you say, and how you do it? and end up praising your Father in heaven. That's all we have to offer them. Let's pray, and then we've got a couple people that are going to sing a song, and then I'm going to stand up and close, and then we've got one more song as you're walking out. Let's pray together. Lord, I know it's getting late, and I thank you for this opportunity to be your spokesman today. As that herald got to speak on behalf of the king and tell everyone what to do, it just fell to me today to be your herald. I pray that whatever was said that was of you, that it falls on the hearts of people. It pierces where it needs to pierce, and it brings salve where it needs to salve. But Lord, if there's anything that I said that is not of you, wipe it from their memory so they only walk out of here knowing what you wanted them to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.